You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's all one word, andyanddon.com. There you can access old archive shows as well ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, morning. Scott. Good morning, Andy. Hi, Don. Hi there. You know, I, I don't want to talk about financial gossip, but it sort of is financial gossip because of the wealth of the people involved here. Uh, but sad to hear that Bill and Melinda Gates are are divorcing, are splitting up. Uh, but but I guess no matter your wealth, uh, a family issue is a family issue, and everybody has problems, has issues. I guess everybody has the right to be happy, and this one's a... Uh... Uh, must have taken some thought to think it through because $134 billion, billion with a B, net worth. So I'm not quite sure. Uh, maybe it was a marriage contract or what, but uh, either way, it's uh, uh, a lot of money. Apparently, there's like $26 billion um, that maybe, uh, m- you know, might be switched hands. But, you know, they're still going to be looking after the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And... Uh, you know, that's a good thing because they've done a lot of gr- great things over the years with um, uh, AIDS research, um, Africa, um, fairly well, and, and also helping out and getting some of the others like Warren Buffett on site and other major billionaires to join the foundation or join their own philanthropic yeah. uh, kind of desires. So, it, you know what, it's really put charitable giving in the limelight, and, you know, that was a great thing that they did. And I know you're going to talk more on this subject uh, later yeah, on in the show, Don. I was add one thing as I was thinking about, uh, you know, one of the things I'm going to talk about later is uh, financial anxiety. And I'm sure, it, it, uh, ironically, at all levels of wealth, people have financial anxiety. But uh, as I was thinking about COVID here, and I haven't been following the Bill Gates thing too closely, but I did see that uh, as I was contemplating, we've got two weeks left in our lockdown here before we're free. And I was thinking about poor Bill in his 67,000-square-foot home <laughs> in uh, Washington State there where he uh, has lots of room to enjoy uh, his COVID lockdown. So yeah, uh, yeah, apparently he, he had a couple properties. There's uh, one in Florida, a 30-acre estate in Florida, estimated worth about $55 million. So I'm sure one could live in one and one would live in the other, and they'd be okay. The, yeah, they were, I think they're the largest... Um, single uh, farmland owners in the U.S. They have really? 150,000 acres of farmland. Wow. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Incredible. Oh. And oh. they can drive their $650,000 worth of vehicles to go visit those farms. That's right. I thought you were going to say that's an expensive tractor. Uh, <laughs> I know, Andy, you wanted to talk uh, about steps uh, to, uh, to reduce your debt, a debt reduction strategy. A three-step debt reduction strategy, and, uh, you know, I don't think this is uh, Bill and Melinda Gates' uh, issue, but for many of us, and I know uh, all the, I don't think a year goes by or a month goes by, people, our clients will ask us, should I pay off, uh, should I pay off some debt more quickly, uh, or should I allocate money to an investment? Um, And so, and that can come in all different forms and sizes, right, from increasing your monthly payment to 
putting a lump sum down pay, uh, lump sum uh, payment to your principal that you owe on something. Um, and so we, we all spend a lot of time talking about that and weighing out the options. And I'm sort of going to go through a three-step thing, but there's a lot of analysis. At the end of the day, if you're in debt, you want to think about uh, how to allocate your resources and understand what you've got and then come up with a plan. And, you know, I know one thing that I will comment on is that you got to be careful where you get your advice, too, because a lot of lending institutions or banks or trust companies, you know, they're not necessarily motivated to help you pay down your debt because they make money by you having debt. And that's the spread factor. So the difference between what you pay and what a lender uh, can turn around and loan that money out for, that's, that's the spread. And so interest rates can be quite high um, depending on your credit worthiness, et cetera. So... Um, but, but debt is really a powerful financial tool, and it can absolutely increase your net worth over time. And you think about debt that we use properly. We use leverage and debt uh, to buy a house. And for now, that might, it may have stretched out of the reach for a few people, a lot of people in, in, recent, in the recent months, but uh, in general, the, the strategy around borrowing money and investing in a home, paying that down over time, has been a, a pretty good method to build your net worth over time. People also use debt when they leverage uh, to buy investments. And an investment could be it could be a mutual fund, it could be stocks, it could be a rental property. Again, you're leveraging yourself, you're borrowing. So debt can definitely be a powerful financial tool to increase your net worth. So first step in this is really understanding where you sit on the debt system and the debt ratio system. They call it the debt-to-income ratio. The debt-to-income ratio is the factor that all creditors use to determine how much you're going to pay, your credit worthiness, uh, et cetera. So in simple terms, you basically take you add up all your loan payments for one month, and that's going to be everything. So uh, car debt payments, your mortgage payments, credit card payments, any uh, personal loans you've got, student loans, um, store cards or payment plans that you're on. Add those all up, uh, get your total, and then take your total monthly personal income. So your And it's your gross income, not your after deductions, not after they've taken tax off and pension contributions, etc. So it should be your gross income because that's the figure that um, uh, creditors and lenders will use. So... If that factor, and we'll take an example here. So somebody, let's say, recently had bought a $1.2 million home. They put down 25%. That's three hundred grand. they have got a $900,000 mortgage. And uh, at 2.5%, 25 years, that's four, roughly four grand a month. So let's say they're making 10000 a month, right, 120000 a year. So their, their uh, debt-to-income ratio would be 40%. And anything at 43% is considered high. So that person is very close to the limit in terms of that debt-to-income ratio. And, um, you know, so quick snapshot, somebody in that range should be thinking about paying down debt before they look at other strategies, I would generally say, right? So let's say the other opposite's true. Let's say somebody has 10000 a month of income, gross, but their loan payments total 1000 and they're at 10%. Well, that's considered, uh, I would consider that an opportunity. Right, so you have low, you have a low debt to income ratio, ten uh, percent. You're going to be able to get the lowest uh, credit because you have a high credit score typically, 
so you'll have better options in terms of financing. So you may not be as motivated to pay down debt with that low debt-to-income ratio. Okay, so understanding your debt-to-income ratio is key. Start with that. See where you are on that ratio. Anything over uh, 40% or higher, not great. <laughs> Anything uh, less than debt, you can get down to 10%, you're a really good chance and think about opportunities for uh, with debt. Step two is to start now to figure out what are your options. And um, I think the most important thing just is to clean up the short-term things first. So let's say you've got, you purchased a, a deferred payment um, piece of furniture or you're making payments and it's six months interest-free. Make sure you've got money set aside to look after all of those short-term things. Maybe you've got some high-interest credit card debts that you're just tidying up as well. Get rid of those, and those tend to be sort of a, a, a make-sense option in terms of where to put this extra money. Then you, think, you start thinking about long-term debt. Okay, So you've cleaned up those short-term things. You're thinking about long-term debt. And there's a lot of different reasons that you can use your cash. They, uh, other than spending it. <laughs> you can use your cash to protect your investments. And what I mean by that is, uh, let's say you think about your home. You might need cash to replace a roof. You might need cash to um, fix a leaky basement. There, you know, there's different investments that you can make in that asset that are going to use some of your cash. So maybe paying down debt, long-term debt, doesn't make sense. Maybe there's assets that you need to replace. Maybe your car has troubles right now. You're thinking about replacing an, an asset. Uh, maybe there's an equipment that you need to replace. Um, you know, in the worst case scenario, you don't want to see somebody where they have um, a loan that is uh, larger than the value of the asset. And sometimes that happens. I've, I've seen situations where somebody purchased a car using a line of credit, and they're just making interest-only payments. And so suddenly, you know, six years have gone by, and the original $30,000 car, they still owe thirty, but it's only worth, you know, seventeen. dollars It's worth around half. So now they're kind of behind the eight ball. Let's get rid of some of those short-term issues. You don't want to be in a situation like that. Another strategy might be to build or rebuild your emergency fund. And a lot of times, so recently, maybe you've dipped into it, right? You've had to use something's come up. Uh, maybe it was a COVID-related thing, but you've had to dip into it. Maybe it's time to rebuild that. Um, you, you don't want to have to touch your retirement assets for those short-term emergencies. It's just too costly, and it, you know, think about how hard it is to save. If you start pulling thousands of dollars out of your retirement long-term assets, it's just it sometimes can be even harder to get that replaced as well. So building that or rebuilding your emergency fund. The next thing to weigh your options on is maybe an alternative investment. So let's say you've got $500 a month. Is that something that you could use towards uh, a rental property? Maybe you could use it towards leveraging, borrowing money to invest. You could maybe invest it in your, maybe you have your own business, maybe business advertising. There's all different ways that you could think about the alternative investments that might perform at a better rate. And then you can get into refinancing. So maybe if, you, if you're going to start an aggressive program of paying down debt, maybe look at what you could refinance to reduce your interest rates or lock in interest rates. And then how much extra payment can save you. Let's say you decide you've got a 15-year mortgage and a 30-year mortgage and you've got an extra $1,000. Well, roughly a 15-year amortized mortgage at 2.75%. If you put $1,000 against that mortgage right now, it's going to save you 508 bucks over the course of uh, the next 15 years. Now, if you invested that money at 6.5%, it would be worth 2572 so you're sort of you can you want to know what is the extra payment going to save me? What can, what can it do for me? And step three is tracking your net worth. 
And you need to know how your money is changing, how your net worth is changing over time. And it really, the most important thing is having a clear sense of how your financial situation is changing. And basically, net worth is all your assets minus your liabilities equals your net worth. And uh, I laughed. We were we were cleaning out uh, cupboards and closets and files, and my wife pulled out a house. Said, "Do I need to keep this?" And I looked at it. It was a 1985 personal financial review that I did with her when she had just graduated from school, and it showed her net worth. And she had some assets, I think a few things, but she owed had a student loan. Her net worth was negative three thousand. Boy, what a what a keeper I found it. <laughs> her, her payments were sixty seven dollars and sixty cents. So I had a good chuckle. And uh, but now you know, thinking about that, the legacy now, tracking that net worth over time. And there's different programs people can use. It's Quicken, Money, uh, Money. Uh, your your bank offers some of these things, or talk to your CFP, your Certified Financial Planner to help you sort of with the three steps and to figure out what's the best strategy for paying down debt. And on that uh, piece of paper from 1985, is that safe to throw out now or do we have to retain I that? Said, shred it, baby. Shred it. <laughs> shred it. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now, leave a message, they'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Now, we opened up the show talking about, uh, unfortunately, uh, what's happening with the gates, but there's a tie-in here on charitable giving. Yes, and uh, you know what? Um, i got to say, you got to give a lot of credit to the Gates Foundation. They have, yeah. you know, different websites have said anywhere from $39 billion donated to $50 billion, um, but more we're saying $50 billion, so let's just go with that. Regardless, on an absolute very generous amount of money have been going to different projects that they have, uh, you know, and, and Bill Gates had a big segment not long ago, I think it was on 60 Minutes, and how he's really helped change the world and his, not only with Microsoft, where he started, but uh, in further with using his wealth to direct a different thing for Cherbill. And uh, him and Melinda uh, work together on these projects, which they're going to continue to um, in, in spite of their 27-year marriage stop ending um, this week officially, and apparently no uh, mar- no uh, uh, prenuptial agreement either, which was uh, interesting. But I'm sure they're go- both going to be okay somehow. I, I don't uh, think there'll be an issue here. But from our standpoint, this is one area that Andy and I talk about frequently to clients. You know, Andy's uh, just spoke about debt and you know making sure that end of it's taken care of. Well, the very polar opposite is charitable giving. And this is on, you know, what do you want to do with uh, your funds? On a, could be yearly. And a lot of people, they, they may make a donation each year, and they may just, you know, maybe a golf tournament. Uh, they have a pet charity, and they'll donate, say, you know, $200 or $1,000, what, whatever amount. Well, if it's only $200, you don't get that much of a tax savings. You save about 25%. 
And so we've often said if you're going to donate $200, you're often better to save a few years' worth and make it $600 every third year and, and claim it on the – because at that time you'll get a 46% tax deduction because these are credits. So the first $200 is at the lowest credit level, and then, and then once you're over that, then you're basically almost at a 50% level, 46%. Funny enough, if your income is over 200000 a year, it actually works out that you'll save 50% tax rather than 46% tax by donating money once you're again over that $200 limit. So charitable giving is a, is a far different kind of kettle of fish. It's not about giving money to whatever charity you feel each year as a, as a dollar amount, but it's literally setting up your own foundation. And, you know, you look at what you've done, and for some of the wealthier clients and the, you know, successful clients, you've had a lot of accomplishments. You've bought a house. You've traded up. You are quite proud of your home. You have maybe even a vacation property. You have your investment portfolio. Um, you have your luxury items, you know, cars or, or whatever, um, artwork, perhaps um, some hobbies, you know, maybe from horses to skiing. You've got a great lifestyle. But... There's also that other need to say, well, what can I do to give back? And, you, you know, you may have looked after your kids already if you have kids. And this here is creating that personal legacy. And you can, and we literally can help with that philanthropic decision-making for you by saying what's the most, call it a tax-efficient way, and also just best way you can create your, your donations going forward. And so with this foundation, we call it the IG Strategic Charitable Foundation. And it, we, IG literally registers it with the CRA, Canadian Revenue Agency, and it really makes things very simple for you. So first thing, it's, it's making it easy and making it so that there's not a lot of steps because anytime somebody thinks of a foundation, they think of the Bill Gates or Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation or something to that effect that, oh, yeah, well, you need millions of dollars to set up that kind of a foundation. In fact, actually, we can actually set a foundation as low as $10,000. And going forward, you can add to it in lumps of $500, or you can even add monthly in as low as $50 a month. So they don't have to be wealthy to, to no end like uh, as the Gates, but you can start small and work way, work your way up. And this is a great way to kind of add money. Now, if you did add $10,000, that 10000 is a donation for that year. So you get a tax receipt for that donation. So it does help you with that. But from a simplicity standpoint, it consolidates all your charitable giving in one account. So if you've got five different charities, you can have, okay, here's uh, whatever amount of money I, I'm going to put into this foundation. The income from that will be split up five different ways. And the only limitation with this, in fact, there's no limit how many charities you can have in your foundation, but there is a minimum with, with IG, is it has to be more than $250 going to a charity each year. So therefore, if you put $100,000 into a charitable foundation and you had a 5% rate of return, and, and we often set these up in T-series so that we have a, a normalized amount of income coming out of these charities each year, and that, that set amount would be sent to that charity. Well, if it was 5%, that would be $5,000 each year would go to that charity. 
Well, that 5000 can go to one charity, or it actually can be split up in 20 different charities if you wish. So it can be you know, created so that you, you benefit many charities, or you can simply say, okay, this is my one charity. Or you can, and by the way, you can switch this every year. So you're not married to a specific charity, so you can have 5000 going, going to a charity one year and change that charity to a different charity the following year. This is extremely cost-effective. This is another benefit of these charitable foundations. Uh, we look after all the administrative responsibilities, the upfront cost of setting it up, getting your own account with the CRA. So it, makes, it really is the easy button, and it does give you that legacy so that you, you can literally name this whatever you like. So it could be the Scott Thompson Charitable Foundation, or it could be the Lister Family Charitable Foundation. It could be whatever you name it, or you can just be anonymous and not have any name on this at all and just know that it is going to a, the causes you like, and you don't want to have any recognition for that. There's really two ways that we, we find that actually if you, if you ever sign up online for you know, walkathons, we do one for the Alzheimer's IG is very closely connected to Alzheimer's Foundation, that uh, some will donate money with their name attached to it uh, online, and others will just uh, you know, not show their name, be anonymous with that case. So the tax benefits are, are very good, of course. Um, CRA recognizes the donations, and so you could get that tax deduction immediately. So again, in that example, $10,000 could be a deduction, would be right away. And, it's, and you can donate up to 75% of your net income. And that would virtually wipe out your tax bill for that year. Um, inter- interesting enough, if it is certified cultural property or you're donating ecological sensitive lands, you can donate up to 100% of your net income. So there's that little caveat there. Um, if you could not use up, if you did make a major donation, you can carry forward that donation for up to five years and use it up in the next five years as far as for your taxes. Now, that being said, even if it wasn't a large donation, like I gave the example before, if you just donated $200 each year, you literally could save $200 each year for five years and claim it on the fifth year, and that would be $1,000 in the fifth year. Uh, The one change in this is upon your death, you can donate up to 100% of your net income in the year of death. And so this is where you would have your in your will or in a life insurance policy or just happen to donate money, a large amount in the year of death, you can donate up to 100%. Now, if you use it up and you got your income to zero, so you didn't owe any tax, you can actually go to the previous year and you can use up to 100% of the net, in, net income on the previous year of death also. So you have two years to use that up. It does take some planning. And I know uh, Andy and I would look through what makes the most sense in terms of the best way to to do this. And is there a certain amount that would be advisable um, to, to lower the tax brackets to a certain level? Plus, you also got to think, okay, depending on your situation, you might want to limit your generosity because you can only afford so much, and this could be part of your overall plan so that you're not affecting your personal lifestyle. Um, at the same time, um, you, we can also say, well, you can certainly afford this much. And we, we, I've had these conversations with both type of clients where some want to donate a lot more because they, it's, it's very emotional particularly. Some, I had a case where 
the husband died and he wanted to leave money to a university. And in that, he, he wanted to leave a, a large chunk of his stock portfolio. Well, in that particular case, I said, okay, well, that's, that's great, and we should do part of that. But those dividends in your stock portfolio were also helping you live the widow to live month to month in terms of her income. So as much as it was great to donate some immediately, which we will be doing, we'll also be saying, okay, how much is the right amount based on your lifestyle and how much you, um, you can really afford at this stage? Not to say that the rest won't end up going into that university as, as a donation, but it could be in the will, and it doesn't have to be done while they're still alive. So you can do some in the will and some while you're alive. Now, in the strategic giving program, you also get some long-term growth. So this money isn't sitting there in a bank account earning less than 1%. It's actually invested. And it can be invested into an array of investments. Some are as, a, as risky as 75% in, in equities or stocks and 25% in fixed income. And the safest one would be 20% stocks or equities and 80% fixed income. Now, you get to pick which you feel comfortable in both cases, they're going to earn reasonable rates of return, and, and there is a, a ledger basically on how much each should learn, earn and therefore how much will go to the charity each year. But the nice thing about this is you could get some long-term growth. So if you're saying, I'm going to have 5% come out of my foundation every year, and the, and the foundation is actually earning 6%, that means your charities are actually getting an escalation in terms of the amount donated every single year. So this is a, another way to almost help out those charities with an increasing donation each year. Uh, the charitable le- legacy, the family, this is kind of interesting because really a lot of, one of the questions we get is, well, what's going to happen when I die? It's, it's going to call the Smith Charitable Foundation or, the, or whatever you happen to name it. Who's going to look after it when I die? And you can name two ways you can do this, actually. You can name your successors in which it could be your family member, a son or daughter, to continue picking which charities this will go to. So it, it really becomes a family affair. So normally in those cases, we suggest talking to your family right now and getting them involved in the charitable f- process. So they, they will, you know, if there's five charities, maybe they get to pick a charity out of those five. Um, and maybe one, daughter, one son or daughter gets one charity choice and the other son or daughter gets the other charity choice. And maybe the parents get the third one, and then you split it three ways. Whatever the case is, it's nice to have this family involvement because it, does, it, is, it, it comes near and dear to your heart, really. And so that, that's one way to do it is get your family to involve so that upon your passing, they will continue going through this type of process and perhaps even doing this with your grandkids. So this becomes a family affair for generations. The other way of doing this is to simply have the successors as a stand, standing grant recommendation. So you have, say, four charities, and it's going to be left like this, and it will just continue forever that these four charities will get your funds or the proceeds of your funds every year. So there's a, a couple ways, two really basic ways to invest this money. If you have $100,000 to donate and you want to start up a foundation, you can invest that money directly into the foundation, and you would get a $100,000 tax slip which would save you approximately $50,000 in tax. Um, now, the charity still gets the whole 100000 of course, and it costs you 
50000 because you get a $50,000 tax savings. So not a bad deal. Costs you 50000 The charity gets uh, 100000 and really the government is subsidizing the other 50000 Now let's say you had some investments that had some large capital gains over the years. And I'll use Apple stock as an example because there's a stock that has done extremely well over the, over the long term. And let's say you invested $10,000 in Apple stock, and currently it's worth 100000 So there's a $90,000 capital gain. So you could donate the stocks directly. So this is called an in-kind transfer to the charity. So they still get the $100,000. It lands in the charitable foundation. They immediately get sold to buy those investments that I mentioned before and which are basically balanced investments, balanced funds. And the nice thing about donating the stock rather than cash is you do not have to claim that capital gain. So normally, had you sold that Apple stock, you would have a $90,000 capital gain, which would result in a $22,500 tax bill. Now, this tax bill is going to happen sooner or later. So if you, don't, if you just give the cash, well, that's fine. That's still a nice gesture. But I would definitely see the, the preference would be to give the stock. In fact, if you don't want to sell your Apple stock, that's another thing, too. Oh, I love this stock. It's growing great. Donate $100,000 of the stock. And then take the money out of the bank and buy back $100,000 of the Apple stock if you really like it. Because this way, you get the tax savings of $100,000, but you also save yourself $22,500 in capital gains tax. So really, at the end of the day, the charity gets $100,000, and your net cost in your pocket was only $27,500. It really cost you, because you would have had to pay this tax on the capital gain. So this is a a great way to literally add more money. Now, if you said in your, in your, in you wanted to invest 50000 out of your pocket in an after-tax basis, well, if you donate stock, you literally could actually up your ante to 200000 because the net cost out of your pocket would be very close to about $50,000 because of the capital gain. So lots of ways to go about this, lots of things to think about. But the nice thing about foundations is if a charity were to get money immediately, they generally spend it that year. A foundation will give them an annuity that will pay for the infrastructure, the things such as rent, the admin costs, the property taxes, the day-to-day expenses to keep that charity going. And what a great gift you can give them in order to keep not having that charity worry about the day-to-day expenses and then focus on really what they're there for, to help the community. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now, 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They will get back to you. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. Uh, we all certainly know how much the global pandemic has affected us, but you want to talk about post-COVID financial habits. Will this stick? Yeah, that's right. It, 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 it is going to come to an end, right? And so what... Uh 
I sort of looked at, there was a great article that talked about the three key ways to improve your financial habits in the post-COVID era. And, um, you know, all of us have had uh, our lives disrupted over the last 12 months. There's no doubt about it. But, you know, I think as uh, vaccinations continue and the case counts start to get come under control, we sort of start to think back about the effects on our personal finances, and we've all done that a lot over the last 12 months. But um, but what do we go, what do we do going forward, and what what have we learned? And the survey sort of shed some light on it. And um, the one thing that they asked about in the survey was to rank the importance of various everyday activities. And and the concept with this is that we don't really need to spend, we don't need more time, we just need to spend it doing what matters. And so the concept was they're thinking about everyday activities, so this included um, your finances, working out, uh, household chores, social life, your appearance, reading, watching TV, hobbies, and social media. So the survey respondents were given all of those items and asked to rank them between level of importance and the actual time spent. And so what was interesting is that uh, in terms of how much, uh, what, what was ranked as most important, finances were ranked as most important, working out as second, appearance as third, social life fourth, Household chores, five. Reading, number six. Watching TV, number seven. Number eight was our hobbies. And number nine was social media. Then when they looked at how much time we're actually spending on each of those areas relative to how we ranked it, social life, which is number four on the list, is the only one where the level of importance seemed to match the amount of time spent. And uh, so for each activity above that line, so appearance, working out, and finances at the top, we just simply don't spend nearly as much time as in terms of the importance that we seem to give it. And in fact, we're spending uh, way more time on uh, social media than, than, than we, and we rank it as our lowest item hmm. in terms of importance. Um, so why don't we spend more time on our finances? And, uh, you know, basically there are, there are three main reasons and they all sort of link together, but Number one was anxiety. 37% of respondents said that they don't spend more time managing their finances because it gives them anxiety. Number two was lack of financial education. Uh, More than a quarter, 27%, feel their formal education did not prepare them well or at all to manage their finances. Number three, it's not an enjoyable task. Well, I know people that would fall into that one. (laughs) 22%, 22%. Uh, said they don't spend more time managing their finances because they simply don't enjoy it. So those are the, the three main roadblocks to uh, primary to your financial management. And uh, so what would make it less stressful? And we've looked at three different habits that will sort of boost your financial results. Number one was to implement a, uh, a system and develop habits that work for you. So you have to make it work. And uh, but cre- basically, how frequently are you setting aside time for your finances, and uh, and are you holding yourself accountable? So the survey discovered that the respondents who check their investments at least once a day, Don, so are you listening? Check yep. their investments at least once a day. Fifty-eight percent also check their bank account daily, 
And additionally, 38% check their credit card balances. 37% know how much they're spending in comparison to their budget at least once a day. So it's basically all about finding out what works for you. But clearly, if you're spending a little bit of time every day, that tends to lead you into other things as well. Number two is considering consider a budgeting approach or a budgeting app, I should say. Um, 46% of respondents don't know or are unsure of their net worth. And net worth is, is probably one of the key things to, uh, to understanding where you are in terms of your financial life. And basically, people said they spent 3.3 hours a week managing their finances. And in the course of a year, you know, that's 170 hours or the equivalent of an entire month of full-time work is spent looking at our finances. So one solution could be you could spend more time. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, but um, respondents actually spent, said they spent 5.7 hours per week on their social media versus 3.7 on their finances. So maybe they might switch that around a bit. But uh, the other thing that was interesting is that 71% of uh, respondents who use software or an app to manage their finances, they were aware of their network. And thanks to the automation, they also had um, understand they'd cut down the amount of time they have to spend on it as well. And number three is understanding the real source of financial anxiety. And um, as I said, most people are feeling anxious about their finances, and it didn't matter at what income bracket they were at. So the Gates, I'm sure, have some anxiety about their own finances as well. Um, it's basically, you know, this unwillingness to spend more time on financial management, but it doesn't seem to be tied to income level. So what the counterintuitive results suggest is that the stress of financial anxiety might be more about uncertainty than it is about finances themselves. And the more we know about our finances and the easier that information is to get, the less people are likely to worry. And uh, so it's about having confidence in your financial information. It makes you feel less anxiety. And uh, for baby boomers, for example, they were uh, uh, 19% reported feelings of anxiety, while uh, Gen Zers 51%, Millennials 43%, Gen X 38%. So uh, basically, the bottom line is, um, and we call it our Living Plan Portal, <clears throat> which is the financial planning software that we use to interact with clients as we talk about their net worth and their financial situation. And again. It's all about having confidence in the financial information you're having, understanding it is going to reduce that anxiety. So talk to your certified financial planner, put a plan in place. You're going to have a lot less anxiety and feel a lot more confident. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call now, leave a message at 905-529-7165. Quick break here. We're coming back. You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165 and check out their website at andyanddon.com. I, I didn't realize this till you brought it up. Uh, we're going into another pandemic Mother's Day. Pandemic Mother's Day number two. Yeah. And as, as much as your mother says, oh, no, you don't have to get me anything. Yes, you do. 
Don't ever fall for that. And and what are, what are you thinking, Scott? Have you had anything in mind? Uh, no, I, I don't want to say anything and give anything away uh, right now, so I'm going to play my cards close to my chest. Good answer. Good answer. And I guess the other question, do you give your wife a Mother's Day gift? As my father used to say, she's not my mother. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure how that... Out for him. Not too well. <laughs> Andy's really organized with this stuff. I'm sure he doesn't want to give it away either, but I'm sure he's got everything all set up. Yes, and I, my adult kids are pretty good. They're, uh, they're organized, too, so I can, I can lean on them. Excellent. Well, you know what? Uh, the, the Hamilton Speck actually had a, a little bit of a list of you know, top pandemic Mother's Day gifts again. And you know what? One of the favorite things we did every year until the pandemic hit was all go out to a Mother's Day brunch. And we would take, you know, both sides, both, uh, both sets of parents were out, the grandkids were out. And, you know, there'd be up to a dozen of us that would go out for this Mother's Day brunch every year. We'd switch it up different places. And obviously that didn't happen last year, and it's not going to happen this year. Now, kind of banking on the weather might be okay that we can be outside. And I know they've, uh, they've now, everybody's had their, as far as the uh, parents go, they've had their vaccine. But, you know, some of the grandkids haven't yet, so it might actually be the other way around. They're worried about the grandparents now giving it to the ones that aren't vaccinated. So it, it might have flipped here. But anyway, um, a few ideas for those that are still thinking, whoo, yeah, I should get something. Flowers are always a good one. But interesting, if anybody's tried to go to a, uh, a nursery and get some plants or anything from a nursery right now, my gosh, they are packed. Yeah, last weekend was packed. There was a lineup. My wife went to pick up a couple of flowering pots. She turned right around because there was a lineup to get in to the parking lot. But that being said, um, you may want to do a quick run out there. Uh, I know, you know flowering, etc. is always nice. Um, some different devices. I know, uh, you know our wheelbarrows not seen a little better days in the past, so that's a thought, but you never know. Um, Maybe may a practical gift may, may, may not be as appreciated. But uh, another big area because of the pandemic is art. I have a client that does some artwork, and she has been, she's never, she's painting all the time. And she, it was just a hobby, but now she has been putting on a website and she is selling all her art that she's ever made is being sold right now. So people are spending money on improving their houses with decks, etc., renovations, but art is also added to this. Uh, another little fun one might be a lottery, kind of, you know, lottery, scratch and win, playing bingo, those type of things. Something that, uh, you know, a little bit of fun can be had. Um, there is some out there that are doing brunch to go. So you can go pick up that brunch and deliver it. And uh, not the same. I think really at the end of the day, it's not about the food as much as uh, getting the family together and having another excuse to, since it's been since, you know, maybe Easter. And for, for some people, it's been a long time because of the pandemic and they weren't vaccinated. So this may be a thought. Um, dogs have been another pandemic area this year. All the rescue dogs have been picked up this year, thankfully. All the dogs that used to go for $1,000 a dog are now going for $3,000 a dog. In fact, there's been dog kidnappings going on. So if your mother is a dog mom, there's all sorts of cool gifts this year. There is a, a matching, and get this, a matching face mask and bandana set. 
So your mother, your mother can wear that face mask into the grocery store with her poodle and, uh, or anxiety dog, if you were, or service dog, and that could have a nice bandana around its neck to match that. And they come in so many patterns, even sports teams and favorite pastimes and hobbies and patterns. Um, I know that uh, you know you, your mother may already have a screensaver or printed T-shirt of their dog, but hey, why not get a custom pet portrait? And you can get some of those por- pictures that you've taken on your iPhone and make those into a custom portrait. You know, take off those those pictures of your baby pictures and put up a picture of your dog. Because at the end of the day, those babies are now grown up, and you've still got this dog right in front of you. So uh, another third one here is smelly dogs have really no friends. And mothers can't go to a spa these days. But why should that stop your dog from having a nice bath? And there's a whole line of spa products just for your pet. And what a fun gift that would be. And you can go on and get these spa products and have that all primped up and ready to go. Um, There's an array of doggy coats. And they can, in fact, we actually got our dog last year a life preserver so that we went canoeing. We, he, if he fell out, he's not a great swimmer, this one. He would be preserved and be able to make it back to the canoe after he was trying to chase a motorboat going by. <laughs> so <laughs> that, was our, that was another one. Um, there's dog hats. There's even uh, a dog tag that has the bone, dog bone missing in the middle. And guess what the mother gets to wear? that dog bone around their neck to fit inside that lovely dog tag in the shape of a heart. So there's so many things. In fact, there's even services such as BarkBox and BowserBox and Wolfpack that will deliver a dog gift every month to your door with a treat for your dog, which, again, if your dog's happy, your mother will be happy too. So there's a few different options for the mothers out there. And, uh, you know, from sincerely, happy Mother's Day. All right, we have. I think Don's confused Mother's Day with his pet's birthday, though. Is it? Is it me or? Uh, we have been planning our financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message at nine zero five five two nine seventy one sixty five, and don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to see you all again, and happy Mother's Day. <laughs> Thank you, Scott. Hey, thanks, Scott. Thanks, Don. Thanks, everyone, for listening. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.